Great. If you've got a Bible, please open to Matthew chapter 11. And while you're doing that, let me ask you a question. How are you doing this morning? How are you doing? Perhaps you're still in your pajamas. You're having a pajama day and you're very grateful that this is happening over the video camera so that we can't see you uh, sat there in your pajamas uh, eating your Weetabix. Maybe, maybe you didn't make it this morning and you're catching up during tea time before group so that you've got something to say at group and now you realize that actually it's RBT this week and you haven't read Acts yet. And so now you're panicking. However your day is going, however things feel right now, most of us are probably pretty weary. Not just physically tired, although that obviously can be something that we struggle with, whether we had a late night or no sleep or it's been a busy time at work. Sometimes we can feel mentally fatigued, especially at the end of the week, on the weekend. Or we can be experiencing some kind of emotional burnout because of the stress of relationships and challenges and all being locked down at home together. But those things are different from weariness. When I'm thinking about the word weariness, I'm thinking about a deep kind of soul weariness that we all experience from time to time, often at different times in different ways and for different reasons. Sometimes uh, there can be a significant factor that contributes to our weariness. Perhaps it's lockdown fatigue and not being able to see people, not being able to do the things that you normally do. And all of those things have contributed to just a sense of <sighs> sometimes we can put our finger on it. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes weariness is the result of just that cumulative, multi-layered crisscrossing of life's complexities, family and friends, finances, work, the world around us, bodily fatigue and frailties, emotional heartbreaks, fears and anxieties, loneliness, the consequences of our sin, the fear of death, and all of those crisscross over to weigh down on us. So, for instance, this week we had uh, Izzy fall off her bike and the one of the chain cogs get stuck in her leg and, and make a nasty mark. So it looks like she's been bitten by a shark. Then one day we came home to find that our fridge freezer wasn't working. And then also I got diagnosed with gout in my left foot this week. So those things can crisscross life's complexities to make us just feel. <sighs> what is it for you this morning? Weariness can have a significant effect on us. It can mute our wonder. It can mute our worship and it can mute our witness. And because the burdens that we carry are not simple, they're not relieved by simplistic cliches. So it wouldn't be right or helpful for me to say, oh, just cheer up this morning. Always look on the bright side of life. You know, keep calm and carry on. But a simple promise can relieve the burdens, however complex they are, provided that the one who makes the promise actually is strong enough and powerful enough to fulfill what he says. And what we have in Matthew chapter 11 this morning is a powerful, profound, simple and hopeful promise that Jesus speaks into the midst of weariness. And it's as powerful and as hopeful as we could possibly ever hope or imagine. So will you read with me? in verses 29 and 30, or 28, 29 and 30, <clears throat> where Jesus says, 
Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me pray for us as we get stuck in. Lord, thank you this morning for your word. And we pray that you would speak to each and every one of us right now into the midst of the weariness that no doubt we all experience to differing degrees. We pray that your word would encourage us. It would not return to you empty or void, but would do all that you have determined for it to do in our hearts and to bring you glory. Amen. Amen. Well, this comforting passage and promise falls into uh, a passage that begins with some exceedingly uncomfortable words. If you look at verse 20 to 24, Jesus pronounces woe and judgment on three cities who refuse to repent and believe in him. Even though these three cities had seen more than their fair share of the miraculous works of Jesus, they refused to believe. Then in verses 25 and 26, he offers a brief word of prayer to his father, giving thanks for the mystery of salvation. He thanks God that those who you think would get it don't get it, and that those who you think would be the least likely to get it, they do get it. And then in verse 27, he offers an unapologetic statement about the sovereignty of God in salvation before getting to the verses that we just read in verses 28 to 30, where he extends to all an open invitation. Now, if you look at Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you get 89 chapters about the life and works of Jesus. So we read much about his birth and his ministry and his time with his disciples. We're told of his travel plans and his prayer habits. We find lengthy teaching, miracles, and uh, when he teaches, we find repeated objections from his enemies and opposers. And then we learn of his unjust arrest, his shameful death, and his astonishing resurrection. But only one place in those 89 chapters do we find Jesus tell us what his heart is like. And that's in verse 28 to 30, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And here's, here's what he reveals about himself. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is a great promise for us today. Come to me, he says. The simplicity of Jesus' promise is striking and refreshing. He doesn't offer us a fourfold path to peace, giving us enlightenment like Buddha does. Neither does he offer us five pillars of peace through submission as Islam does. Neither is it 10 ways to improve your life, as we might read in a 21st century self-help book that we bought on Amazon. Jesus is unique to anyone and everyone else in history because he offers us himself as the universal solution to all our burdens and problems. He offers himself. Come to me, he says. So what does it mean to come to Jesus? Now, if you read around the chapters and the verses surrounding what we've just read, I think the meaning becomes clear. In verses 20 to 24, as we've already said, Jesus rebukes unbelieving cities. 
Then in the beginning of chapter 12, in verses 1 to 8, he rebukes the Jewish religious leaders. And the thing that ties both of these things together is that they had witnessed firsthand the miracles of Jesus that clearly demonstrated who he was, and yet they still refused to believe in him. So when Jesus invites people to come to him, he must mean something like believe in who I am and who I claim to be and who I have demonstrated myself to be. Coming to him means trusting in who he says he is and what he is able to do for us. Now, the original words of Matthew 11 were spoken to Jews who were heavily burdened with laws and rules and regulations and commandments. Many of them coming from the Old Testament, but most of them added to by the Jewish religious leaders of the day. Jesus, in fact, himself says in Matthew 23 that the Jewish religious leaders have laid a heavy burden on the people with their extra biblical laws and rules and regulations. And it was those people, those heavily burdened by the laws and rules and regulations of religion that were called to come to him. That Jesus called them and said, come and give me the full weight of your burdens that you carry. Come to me and give me the full weight of your of the guilt that you feel because you're not matching up to other people's expectations, to the pharisaical moral standards, that you feel guilt because you have an inability to obey and follow the law in your own strength, that all of your self-righteous efforts are useless and worthless. If you feel like that, come to me. The call is not a call to reform your life and to be a better version of yourself. But it's a call to experience the relief that Jesus offers from self-effort, from self-improvement, from self-righteousness and the constant struggle to match up to your expectations of yourself or to those expectations that are laid on you by other people or that striving to cover up and make atonement for your own sins and failings and the guilt and the shame that you feel from the shortcomings. The call to come to Jesus is not a call to a different kind of obligation. It's a call to liberation. It's an offer of deliverance from judgment. It's God's answer to the slavery of self-salvation. <clears throat> so if you're watching this this morning and you're not yet a Christian, well, first of all, thank you for watching. But secondly, this is an invitation to you right now, right here. This morning, the invitation of Jesus himself, come to me, repent of your sin, turn away from those things that are heavy upon your soul, the guilt and the shame that you feel because you haven't lived up to God's law or to your own expectations and renounce those things and renounce your self-effort and self-reliance, throw off your pride and self-salvation and rest in Jesus, for he gives exactly what we need at the very deepest level. And then rejoice in him, for this good news gives peace and eternal rest. And if that's you, talk to someone that you know who's a Christian or email us at info at gracechurchbristol.org and we'd love to hear from you and help you. But there's more to this glorious promise 
than just that initial coming to Jesus for salvation, because it's not just a one time offer. The language used here in the original is open ended. It's a continual offer to all who have ongoing doubts and questions and struggles and suffering. Twenty centuries after. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Twenty centuries. That's right. Yeah. Twenty centuries. Two thousand years after Jesus made these this invitation, he still offers us rest. And he offers it to all who labor. Now, he's not talking about work here. He's not speaking to those who are just simply busy. It's not that this promise is not for those who are lazy or currently furloughed or unemployed, that somehow they should not apply for this. No, when Jesus says, come to me, all who labor, he's talking about all whose life feels labored, that those who are laboring to the point of weariness, that we're just plodding on, trying desperately to put one foot in front of the other and go forward. It's a invitation to all who feel like life is, is like swimming through treacle. It's an invitation to all who feel like life is like that, uh, a giant game of whack-a-mole. Do you remember when you go bowling, you have the, the game and the moles pop up in the holes and you've got a hammer and you have to whack them down. And as you whack that one, one pops up here and you whack that one and one pops up here. If life feels like that, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are weary and heavy laden. That word heavy laden means all who feel overloaded, all who all those who are carrying baggage and burdens, whatever it might be, however big or small it might be. But it feels too heavy. That it's or, or if it's not too heavy, it just feels too awkward, like somehow you can't get your arms around it. If life feels like you're juggling with eight balls, but you only learned with three and you keep dropping them. That's who Jesus is encouraging to come to him. Now, the type of burdens. And the type of labors are not specified because it's open ended. It's all burdens, any burdens. It's your burden and mine, too. <clears throat> so if you feel like that this morning, it's good news. Jesus says, come to me. and I'll give you rest. Let's think about that bit of the promise. I will give you rest. Literally, it would it means I will rest you. So what is this promised rest? Well, it's not the cessation of work and labor because he goes on in verses 29 and 30 to speak about a yoke and a burden. So it's not a promise of just paradise. Put up your feet, get out your cocktails, enjoy the sunshine and have no worries. It's not exemption from life. It's not exemption from hard work or service. It's not a call to carefree, careless living. But it is a call that he will give us the rest of our souls. It's not even bodily rest that he promises here. He promises soul rest. Actually, the word rest is a uh, agricultural and technical term. It was what farmers did when they laid a field to fallow. So my granddad was a farmer and we would often go and visit him in Lincolnshire. And you, he was a, he planted wheat and barley and there were fields upon fields of wheat and barley. But there was often fields with nothing. He would plow the fields and then he would leave them. And that's because those fields were left to fallow. That they wouldn't, he wouldn't plant any seeds or crops because he was giving that field time to regain, to regain the nutrients in the soil, time and rest so that next time he planted, when the work returned to that field, it would be in a better place to produce a harvest. 
that he desired. That's what Jesus promises us here. It's a following, a resting of our souls, soul refreshment, a chance to regain and be re-energized in our innermost beings, a, a chance and an opportunity to stop running and to begin resting, to spend less time doing and more time delighting in him. That's why we're excited, as Peter mentioned in the announcements, to spend four weeks in Vital Life classes going through this book, Enjoying God, because that's what this book is intended to do, to help us to enjoy God in, in who he is, Father, Son and Spirit. So we're looking forward to that. So please get hold of a copy of this if you can from uh, 10 of those or the Good Book Company or even Amazon uh, and read it and and be ready to join us. You don't even have to read it to, to benefit from the videos, but it would be wonderful to read it alongside that because it will help us to experience the rest that Jesus promises us here. A rest that enables us to go back to the tasks of life with renewed energy and vigor and hope. For hope really is what we're after, isn't it? When we're frantically feeling the weight and the burden and the weariness of our souls, we want hope. When we feel restless, we want hope. And the world knows this because it markets hope for us all day long. It says you can find your hope and your satisfaction in a new car or in a new house or in a holiday or new clothes or in alcohol or fun or sex or relationships or Netflix or whatever the next thing is. It promises if you just get the next thing, if you hope in that, you will experience rest. All of your striving and your problems will go away. And we do that and we realize that they're false hopes. They don't provide the soul rest that we're after. They might distract us for a time, but it's temporary and it doesn't actually release the burdens that we carry. It doesn't truly lighten our load. No, the word tells us that the burdened soul only finds true rest in one place. Psalm 62 verses five to seven, the psalmist writes, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I will not be shaken on God rests my salvation and my glory. My rock and my refuge is God. So here in Matthew 11, Jesus knows that he alone is our salvation, our fortress, our mighty rock and our refuge. Jesus here knows that he is the answer to every question and every concern and every fear and every need that we will ever have. So he simply offers himself comprehensively to us. Come to me, he says, for our hope is from him and in him. And we will find rest for our souls. So here's the rub. Are we going to believe Jesus or not? When our souls are burdened, here's the test. Will we do what he says to do? You know, usually we want to rest our souls on the knowledge of how and when our burdens will be addressed. What, when will this be over? When will we be out of lockdown? When will I be able to go back to work? When will I be able to book a holiday? When will this thing happen? Will my wedding happen? When will I know what life is going to be like in the future? We want to rest our souls in, those, in that knowledge. But Jesus doesn't provide us with those details. He simply says to come to him. And everything that we face will be addressed by resting in him. He doesn't want our souls resting on the how and when. 
as if we're somehow wise enough to understand and then determine them. He wants us to rest on who he is and that he has made a promise that he is powerful to keep in the best way at the best possible time for our souls. So we're to rest in Jesus. We're to rest in who he is and what he's like. So what is he like? Well, here we find in verses 29 and 30 exactly what he is like. Um, he tells us he's gentle and lowly in heart. Now, in our house, we've been reading this. I don't know whether you can see this. I'll try and hold it up. Gentle and lowly. It's a, it's a brand new book by a guy called Dane Ortland. Uh, and it's really helped us as we've read it, Claire and I, we've been reading through it to see more clearly the heart of Jesus and who he is towards his people. And I'd really encourage you, it's another book recommendation, but go and get that if you can. I think it's only available on Kindle at the moment because it's out of print, but it's wonderful. And in that book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland reminds us of the heart of God. He reminds us that Jesus is not, he, he doesn't declare himself to be austere and demanding in heart. He doesn't even identify himself as exalted and dignified in heart. He doesn't even say, I, come to me because I'm joyful and generous in heart, though surely he is. He says he's gentle and lowly in heart. Now, don't misunderstand that. That doesn't mean Jesus is mushy and frothy. What it means is that this Jesus is gentle. He's meek. He's humble. He's not trigger happy or harsh or reactionary or easily exasperated by sinners. In fact, Jesus is the most understanding person in the entire universe. And the posture of Jesus towards people like you and me is not that he says, come to me now. Like a headmaster might say, come into my office with an outstretched pointed finger. No, he says, come to me with open arms. The word lowly actually could be translated as accessible. So, you know, that Jesus is accessible, he's approachable. And these two words, gentle and lowly, then overlap to communicate a, a, a reality, a single reality about the heart of Jesus towards people like you and me. That for all of his resplendent glory and his dazzling holiness and his supreme uniqueness and his otherness and difference from us, no one else in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus. And all that we need to do to be embraced into that love and that warmth of Jesus is simply to open ourselves up to him and to come to him. We don't need to unburden ourselves or sort ourselves out before we come to Christ. No, he tells us the very burdens that we carry qualify us to come to him. Come to me if you are carrying a heavy burden. Come to me if you are laboring. Come to me if you are wearying. No payment is required. There's no loopholes to jump through. His gift of rest is a gift. It's not a transaction. It's a gift. So whatever you find yourself like this morning, not just in your pajamas, but whatever you find yourself this morning, if you are actively working to try and make your life as smooth as possible and you are laboring and you're finding that actually life is like a game of whack-a-mole, come to Jesus. Or if you find yourself weighed down by something, either by something that you've done or something that is out of your control, Jesus's desire is that you will find rest in him, that you will come to him, come in out of the storm.
to him and find rest for your soul. And his desire actually at, for us to find rest outstrips our own. That's why he makes this invitation. He, he says to us, don't struggle on on your own. Don't be independent. Don't try and work it out yourself. Come to me. For I'm gentle and lowly heart. I'm approachable. I'm ready to help. That's his own testimony towards us. His very heart towards us is that he's gentle and lowly. He's tender. He's open. He's welcoming. He's accommodating. But it's not automatic and it's not open to everybody indiscriminately. It's only open to those who will come, humble themselves and come and take upon themselves his yoke. Cry out to him for his for his help. His heart of Gentle embrace is never going to be drowned out or outmatched by any sin or foible or failing or shortcoming or insecurity or doubt or anxiety that you feel. He's gentle and lowly in heart and he invites us to come. And it's not just one way that he occasionally acts towards others. That's who he is in his very heart. And then he goes on to say, my yoke is easy. Now, that needs a little bit of careful understanding as well. A yoke was a heavy crossbar that was laid on a pair of oxen to join them together and to force them to drag farming equipment through a field. But Jesus here is not saying that life is going to be free from pain or hardship when he says my yoke is easy. The word easy actually is translated in other places as kind. So in Ephesians 4.32, where it says, be kind to one another, tender hearted, that word kind is the same word here as my yoke is easy. And so Jesus is using a kind of irony that he says that the yoke that he lays on those who will follow him are really no yoke at all. It's a yoke of kindness. Well, who can resist that? And Jesus doesn't simply meet us in our place of need. He lives in that place of need. And he never tires of sweeping us up into his tender embrace because that's his very heart towards sinners and struggling saints. Jesus doesn't cringe at the idea of touching dirty sinners and, and struggling sufferers like kids somehow sort of like, you know, recoil when they're sort of touching a slug. No, Jesus has a big embrace, a bear hug of an embrace. And that's exactly what he loves to do. He loves to sweep us up into his embrace close to his heart and hold us and keep us. That's who he is. He can't hold back from being like that. So as you come to him, you will find Jesus to be gentle and lowly in heart. And a savior who will give you rest. Now, how is he able to do what he has promised he will do? Well, that's because in Matthew 11, Jesus has begun a journey towards Jerusalem. And that's because as he gets nearer and nearer to Jerusalem, he's getting nearer and nearer to the cross. That place where the very hands that beckon us to come this morning are the same hands that were pierced through by nails as he hung on a cross. The same eyes that look upon us this morning in love and care and kindness would soon be filled with tears and weeping as he cries out in the garden, Father, if it be possible, take this cup away from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then a few hours later cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
so that we would never be forsaken. You see, at the cross, Jesus takes our inconceivably and unbearably heavy yoke of sin and condemnation and the penalty that we deserve. And he offers us in exchange his easy yoke of kindness, the light and simple burden of trusting in him and finding rest and salvation. He does all the work. We get all the rest. And to add to that. His work not only fully addresses our sin problem, but it also provides the supply of every other need that we will ever have. So in Philippians 4 verse 19, Paul will say, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. All we're required to do is to trust him. So if you're weary for whatever reason, however complex Jesus invites you to come. He invites you to come for the first time, the tenth time, the hundredth time, the thousandth time, the millionth time. Come, take his light yoke of kindness and believe in him and find rest for your souls. Jesus is one who promises rest to the weary and the heavy laden. And he's one who promises never to leave us or forsake us. So whether you're lonely or lost, anxious or abandoned, tired or tense, guilt ridden or grieving, come to Jesus. For he is the goodest good news of great joy for all people, especially weary people. Let's pray.